let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 13. That's not in your notes. Those are our new scriptures, so you'll want to write those down. I'm preaching today on the already not yet kingdom of God. The already not yet kingdom of God. If this sounds kind of familiar, it's because I preached this same sermon last summer, last June. It was one of those June Sundays, not a lot of you guys were here, and I really liked the sermon. So I decided to preach it again. Usually I don't preach a sermon twice, but not really for those reasons. The reason I want to share this with you is the concept I'm going to share with you today has helped me so much that I just want to pass on what God has shown me to you. And it took me um, some exposure two or three times to really kind of catch on. And so it may be a sermon I preach every year because I believe as we discuss the power of the Holy Spirit, the concept of the already not yet kingdom of God is so important because this is what happens when we talk about the Holy Spirit. And when we begin to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to open your eyes to opportunities you haven't seen, to open pathways of your heart to God for him to move in power. And when that happens, expectations rise as they should. I mean, that's really the purpose of us preaching the word. We want you to get your faith up. We want you to get your hope up. We want you to believe God for the impossible. Inevitably, what happens when that occurs is then also disappointment will happen down the line. And, and here's the reason why. Is I cannot make you experience the power of God in healing. If I could heal people, I wouldn't be preaching right now. I'd be down at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital clearing that place out. If I was in control of healing, things would look a lot different. If you guys struggled with something, we'd just get rid of it, just like that. Prayed with someone this morning who's dealing with a back issue, a dear friend of mine. And I believe that God is going to touch her. I believe that she can leave this service healed. And I want to see that happen. And I know God can do it. And so I'm going to ask God to do it. I'm going to believe God's going to do it. But I can't make it happen. If I did, I would. And that's why understanding the concept of the already not yet kingdom of God is important. I'm in year 21 of vocational ministry. And a lot of that, some of the most tender moments I've spent have been in hospitals. And, and that's a special place to be, to, to be with people. And there's a couple of scenarios that happen in hospitals that bother me, especially when there's premature deaths. When there's deaths that just are not in their timing of, of children and middle-aged people and so forth. You know, this morning there's two families in our church who are dealing with death this morning of of elderly people who have struggled with dementia and, and it just, it's just time. And so we understand that. I'm talking about when it just it isn't right. It's just too young or the sickness is just too invasive. And when, when I've been in the hospital, two things have bothered me and someone expired. It bothers me when I find out no one's prayed. There is no prayer for healing. They just were put in the hospital. No one asked God for healing. Or 
if they did ask God, they really didn't ask in faith. It was one of those kind of anemic, weak kind of prayers like, God, in Jesus' name, I hope you do something. Um, but you're probably not, so we're just going to pray anyway. Amen. So there was no faith-filled, God, come in power, come in healing, come in glory. So that bothers me. The second scenario is this. It's when powerful prayers are prayed, when the right scriptures are quoted, when there is an attention on the character of God, and then that person doesn't make it. And what bothers me is not that they don't make it, because God is sovereign in that. It's when Christians start blaming other people. They may say something like, well, the pastor just didn't have faith enough. Or they may say something as dreadful as this, the person who died, well, they really didn't want to be healed. Sometimes we have created theological um, perspectives that forces us to blame people. And I believe that's unfortunate and not Christ-like and not a good thing. And well-meaning people have done this accidentally. So neither one of these scenarios are good. But if we're really honest, we all struggle with this. I got a text today from some, uh, this week from someone who does not attend this church, someone that you would not know. And the text said this as we were corresponding and catching up. The text read, I've been struggling with prayer lately, just with doubt and prayer. A friend of ours died of cancer in another state this morning. And listen to this part. The church could not have prayed more intensely for her healing. Literally, many several hours long church-wide prayer services dedicated to it and seemingly no response from God. This is a painful text. And it's a, it's a text that communicates what some of us have been through before. When we have believed in God. We have focused on his character. We have asked for healing. We have asked for breakthrough. It just, it just hasn't happened the way we want it to. And I want to say, first of all, before I say anything else, and if you've been in that situation, that every prayer you prayed and every day you fasted and every time you get together with your church to pray, I want you to know that is precious to God. And God calls those prayers like incense to the throne of God. It just makes heaven sweeter. He loves the prayers of his people. So just because the outcome didn't turn out like you wanted or expected or even believed it should be, it's still beautiful to God and it's precious to God. So think about Elisha. Elisha performed more miracles, or at least God performed miracles through Elisha, more than anybody in the Bible other than Jesus. So a powerful guy. He, he took the mantle from Elijah, and then Elisha had a double portion of his anointing. And we, we see in the book of 2 Kings, incredible things happen. But I want you to see this verse. This verse is not in your notes. I want to write it down. This verse is 2 Kings 13, 14, because it really helped me with this dilemma. When Elisha became sick with the illness that he died from, Jehoash king of Israel went down and wept over him. Like, what? Elisha died of a sickness? I thought this was a guy who 
raise the dead. He did. This is a guy who, who, who moves miraculously and powerful. He was that person. You see, it's appointed for man to die once. So everyone faces death at some point. And, and that's hard. I'm not minimizing that at all. Even in the two families I'm thinking of today, they're dealing with um, sick people who are dying, that, that, and elderly sick people who are dying. That's really hard. But this scripture is something that reminds us that even if God moves through you in healing and in power and uses you in incredible ways, you're not a bad person and there's nothing wrong with you if you succumb to sickness. It just, it just happens. It's quite possible, possible, and historically it has been, a lot of the great men and women of God, God has used to bring his miraculous healing, his signs and wonders, have died. I guess they all have died naturally through the things people die of. Now, this is, this is we wonder, Elisha, what did he do wrong? Did, did Elisha sin? Did Elisha start quoting the wrong scripture, scriptures? Was the confession of Elisha's faith incorrect? Well, look what happened in verse 20. This is really a, a curious story and interesting. It says, then Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite raiders used to come into the land in the spring of the year. Once, as Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a raiding party. So they threw the man into Elisha's tomb. And when he touched Elisha's bone, bones, the man revived and stood up. So I think Elisha was okay. I think God just put that in there to say, okay, yeah, he might have died from sickness, but I still used him in great power. I used him in great ways, even so that the touching of his bones resurrected someone by the sovereignty of God. So why do these things happen? It's, it's because of the sovereignty of God. So the concept of the already not yet kingdom of God, I believe helps us to reconcile this tension. Because one thing I do not want you to be, is I don't want you to be a faithless person. I don't want you to be a person who's fatalistic, who just thinks that you're going to just live as a victim of sin, as a victim of the decay of this world, that there's never anything powerful, there's never anything miraculous. You're just going to hang on until you get to heaven. No way. God is a God of miracles. The book of Acts was a book about the highlights of what God did in his church. And so it is that I think about the last eight and a half years that I've been here. If I just sat down and wrote, wrote a whole list of stories, it may not be as exciting as the book of Acts, but it is pretty awesome what God's done here. I, I will readily admit that there are some things in the book of Acts that happened that haven't happened here. But I will also say that there's been some things that have occurred in this church body that can only be explained as God. There are some things that cannot be explained through natural explanations. When the kingdom of God broke in, the power of God was present. Healing, deliverance, salvation, moves of the spirit, manifestations of the presence of God. These things are not natural. No, they're supernatural. And if I was writing the story of our church the last eight and a half years, those highlights would jump out and your faith would be built. And, and I, I believe that possibility would open and you would begin to say, God can do anything. But in between those highlights, just as the book of Acts was, there was a lot of just normal days. There are a lot of normal Sundays. 
and normal small groups and normal men's Bible study and normal 242s and normal prayer meetings and just the ordinary, the ordinary, what makes the extraordinary special is it's out of the ordinary. And those are the things we remember. So the walk with God is relational. Our walk with God is community-based. Our walk with God is daily. And yet the stories and the breakthroughs and the move of the Lord points us to the power of God. So this concept of the already not yet kingdom of God is not something I made up. Uh, George Ladd at a Fuller Theological Seminary in the 1964, he, he launched this uh, through a book called The Present Future. John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, used to teach this. Wayne Grudem, whose systematic theology book is kind of the standard for our generation, believes in this too. So these, these, are, these are some sources that have helped guided this thought process in us. And I really believe it's going to help you. Okay. This is not just one of those ideas. I think it's fun to play with. I really think this is going to help you. So let's talk about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, there's a little bit of debate among theologians. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, what was he talking about? Was he talking about right there in that moment? Or was he talking about something out in the future, in the present, something that still hasn't come to pass today? Well, the answer is both. Now, if you insist on one or the other, like people do, there's some theological problems. If, if you insist that he was only talking about the present day or he was only talking about the future, it is problematic. But no doubt it was talking about both. Uh, I've discussed with you the, the prophecies. Many, I would say most of the prophecies Jesus gave came to pass through the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. It points to his authority as a Messiah. And some still have not come to pass yet. And we're still waiting for that. So the kingdom of God, when Jesus talks about it, he's talking about, yes, something that's happening now, but simultaneously something we look forward to in the future. And I believe that is still the case when we talk about the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew 24, chapter 24, verse 14 says it this way. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is my favorite prophetic eschatology scripture in the Bible. It's the one that I focus on the most. The heart of God loves this world so much, loves humanity so much, loves every nation tribe that he's saying that until everyone hears the message, I'm not going to come back yet. And, and, and so there, there's this hope we have that we have a message to send. We, we have a God to proclaim. We have a Jesus to lift up. And that's why we go. We go to our friends, we go to our neighborhoods, and we go to even the nations uh, that have not heard the name of Jesus are those who have turned their back on Jesus. And so this is one of the things we're dealing with in the last days. When I was in high school, I visited uh, Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas, which is a huge university with a lot of kind of quirky traditions. All week long, I would wear a ball cap because that's kind of what we did in my era when I was in high school. We wore ball caps all the time. And so I wore ball caps in the dorm at restaurants, around the city, around the campus, at the baseball stadium, everywhere I went, I had a ball cap on. I walk into one particular building and someone very authoritatively told me, hat off, hat off in this building. And so it was a Tim, I took my hat off, my friends, we took our hats off. We, we, we learned later the situation. We, we learned that that particular building was a memorial to World War II veterans. 
And so when you walked in that room, you took your hat off. And if you had your hat on, you were corrected. So all over the city, all over the campus, I wore my hat wherever I wanted to because there was no rule like that. I walked into that building, the rule changed. I walked into that building, there was a different standard. I walked into that building, there were different expectations. This is a limited but somewhat helpful metaphor for the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, when we, it's like us walking into that building. When we enter the kingdom of God, different rules, different standards, different expectations, different thought process, different purpose. In fact, there may even be here in this world some principles that transfer, that coexist, that work together, but there's a recognition that when we walk into the kingdom of God, there is a different rule, a different standard. You may live in the same house, drive the same car, hang out with the same people, but when you enter the kingdom of God, you have a different leader, you have a different culture, you have a different ruler, you have a different one in charge. And so that's why the kingdom of God, write this down, is the reign of God. It's when God asserts himself as the one in charge. And so that's why we pray. God, let your kingdom come in my family. Be in charge of my family. Let your kingdom come in this church. How many know you can be part of a church where Jesus is in charge? So we've got to keep saying, Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Let your kingdom come in the school we attend. Let your kingdom come in the businesses that we run. No doubt that in different sectors of society, among different people, the kingdom of God has more rulership, more reign in certain areas. God at this point in time is allowing us as free, free will agents, as, as those who decide and, and, and determine our, his lordship uh, to, to choose whether he's going to rule or reign in our life. But we say, God, come and be in charge. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So what is the kingdom of God? Romans 14, 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. They were addressing that issue at that time. But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that just look good? Huh? I mean, we need more of that. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom of God. When Jesus gets in charge of stuff, and when the reign of the kingdom comes, there's more peace, there's more joy. There's more righteousness. How many know that's why we need to pray, God, let your kingdom come, your will be done in our nation. And and this this broken uh, social contract that we have right now between citizens and law enforcement, we need the reign of God. We need more righteousness. We need more peace. We need more joy. We need more of God. We need to let the kingdom of God come and come and reign. Kingdom of God, come and assert your reign and purposes in every sector of society. So the disciples begin to talk about the kingdom of God a lot. We're just going to go quickly through these scriptures. Acts 8, 12 says this, but when they believed Philip, he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, chapter 19, verse eight. Then he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about the things of the kingdom of God. Acts 28, 23. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, says Paul, he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them concerning Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. So this idea that the disciples were calling for the kingdom of God, 
explaining the kingdom of God, reasoning with people, saying the reign of God's kingdom needs to come here on earth. The reign of God's kingdom needs to establish itself. You know what, what would be rather odd? It would be odd to be the only child of a billionaire. I would have liked to figure it out what that was like, but uh, that was not the case for me. But we know somewhere on this planet, there is an only child of a billionaire. And this heir knows legally that he or she will inherit everything their billionaire parent has. Every home, every business, every asset, every stock, Everything that that billionaire has legally belongs to their heir, their child. It, it, it's already written in the will. The lawyer documents are already drawn up. But even though everything of the billionaires will be theirs, it's not theirs quite yet. There's a certain recognition that what will happen gives a certain amount of authority or power when they're investigating the assets, when they're asking questions about the business, when they're wondering what the future is. And so there's, there is a certain recognition that, yeah, this is the air. They're going to get everything. But it's not theirs yet. There's still not authority yet. It still hasn't fully come. This kind of odd tension is where we are when it comes to the power of God. Because there is this idea that, you can write this down, the kingdom is not yet fully here. Write that down. The kingdom's not yet fully here. And I'm so thankful for that. How do I know that the kingdom's not fully here? Because I watched the news this week. There's not righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I know the kingdom's not here because healthcare is still the, one of the biggest parts of our financial sector. Uh, because people are sick. Pe- people are, our bodies are decaying. I know the kingdom of God's not here because we have millions of people, a few million for sure, incarcerated in prisons today. I know the kingdom of God is not here is because we have something known as a DCS, a department that's, that exists just to investigate abuse of children. The kingdom's not fully here. There, there is the sense that the kingdom has not fully come. There's a better day. There's a day we look forward to. There's a day ahead of us. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about a future kingdom. In verse 31, he says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's coming a day when God's people are going to get the approval of God and God's going to say, come on, inherit it. Inherit the kingdom. Come get what belongs to you. What you've only had a taste of, what you've only had a measure of, what you've only had just a first fruit of, you're going to get fully in the kingdom of God. A place where there's no evil. A place where there's no uh, Satan. There's no sickness. There's, there's no disease. A place where there's no decay. A place where there's no injustice. A place where there's no unjust ruler. This is the place 
Christ that we're going to inherit under the leadership of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says this, Don't you know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? So this idea that there's this inheritance ahead of us that we still have not received. Why do you think people love Prince William and his wife Kate so much and those two babies? You know, there's probably a lot of different psychological reasons why culture is fascinated with these people and some just probably innocent and for fun reasons. But I think that those babies, you know, they represent something fresh and new, a change. Even though the, the British monarchy is not what it once was, it still has great symbolic power. And so, and so there's this sense of hope in the future, the sense of, well, here's this young couple and these babies, and someday they're going to be in charge. They're not in charge yet, but someday they're going to be in charge. And when that someday comes, maybe things will be better. Certainly, it'll be fresher. It'll be new. It'll be different. It won't just be decades of the same. It'll be something new and different. Now, I don't put any hope in them, and I'm not asking you to either. I'm only saying this for an illustrative purpose uh, because they're just people like you and me, people doing their jobs. They're just like, sometimes they're going to do good and they're going to do bad. They're just people. I'm talking about us as, as observers of culture. We, we even, even subconsciously kind of put hope in a change, a freshness, a difference. Can I tell you, there is a change coming to this world. And there's a freshness coming to this world. And there's a leader who is in charge of this world who has yet to assert his full rule and reign. And he is one who rules justly. He's the one who rules without error. He's the one who rules without hidden motives. He's the one who rules without sin. That's Jesus Christ is going to come and he is going to come again and he's going to show this world what it's like when a righteous God asserts his rule, asserts his reign and shows the world what it's like when he's in charge. And that is why the last thing I want you to write down is this, is the kingdom is already here when the future reign of God breaks into the present. The kingdom is already here when the future reign of God breaks into the present. And that's why we believe in the power of God. We believe in the power of God because the power of God declares the future reign is breaking into the present. I know from my friend who's dealing with back pain that there's not going to be back pain in heaven. There's not going to be any need for Advil. There's not going to be any need for heating pads or chiropractors or any of those type of things. And, and I believe that the future reign of God can break into her present. The future reign of God is going to break into her situation. I, I believe that there's coming a day when the future reign of God, we're going to see him come. And he, he's, going to, um, he, he's going to lead with life and there's going to be no more decay. But for those of you who are nurses and those of you who are doctors, when you care for the sick, and you bring comfort to them, and you make them more comfortable, and you help them out, you're bringing the future reign of God into the present. When we pray prayers, I, I, I go to hospitals almost every week, and I pray with people, and, and I believe God. I, I pray for the doctors. I pray for the nurses. I pray for the medical staff, and, and I believe God uses wisdom. I, I believe God uses 
pharmaceuticals to a certain degree if we don't abuse them, and he can use those, but we don't trust in them. We trust in his power, and I believe that God can do what the doctors can't do, what the nurses can't do, and what people and the pharmaceutical experts can't do, and so I keep praying. I keep praying. I say, God, let your kingdom come, and your will be done. Why is this important? Because somewhere along the way, some of you have been disappointed because through the sovereignty of God, the answer did not come the way you wanted it to. And maybe even you have been, you have been hesitant to pray for healing. You've been present, you've been hesitant to ask for the manifest presence of God. Maybe part of you has been so hurt that you're not asking God to do the miraculous because you're scared that God's not going to do it. Can I tell you that there's nothing to fear if you believe that our God's in charge, our God's redeeming the world, our God's redeeming our very bodies itself, our God is redeeming society itself, then we can in faith say that no matter what happens, we're going to a better day, we're going to a better outcome, and until that day comes, we're going to keep praying bold prayers, prayers of faith, prayers of authority, prayers that center on the character of God. We're going to believe God to break in, God to come through. We're going to keep Keep, keep going back to that same river like Naaman did, dipping over and over again, even the sixth and seventh time, because we're going to believe God can do that. That's why every Thursday, our prayer team, we pray for you. We pray for God to heal your bodies. We pray for the salvation of the lost. There's no greater breakthrough of the present reign of God, the future reign of God in the present than when somebody gets saved. And I want you to begin to believe for the impossible. Who in your life do you think could never get saved? Who in your life do you think could never turn their hearts to the Lord? That could be the person that you need to see the future reign of God break into the present. The idea that there was a man named Saul who persecuted the church, who, who, who Saul was killing Christians and he encountered the presence of God on the road to Damascus. And God didn't just change his name to Paul. God changed his identity, his destiny, his calling. He changed them. Whoever you think can never get saved, if their heart's too far from God, keep believing because the kingdom of God can break into that situation. The future reign of God can break into the present. I want to ask our ushers to begin to position themselves. We have a great way to declare the future reign of God. And when we take communion here. As they're getting this together, I want to share a couple more scriptures with you. Matthew 10, 5 through 8, this is what Jesus says. Jesus sent out these 12 and he gave them instructions and look at the bottom there, verse 7. He said this, as you go, announce this. Let's go to the next slide. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So people who are bound in sin, bound by demon spirits, possessed or oppressed, when the power of God hits them, the future reign of God breaks into the present. There's going to come a day where, where no demon spirits will have any authority on this earth. That they, they will be locked into the abyss. But that future reign of God breaks into the present. Jesus said this also in Matthew 12, 28. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Lastly, the prayer we pray, Matthew chapter six, verse nine. Therefore, Jesus said this, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
this is not some type of poetic, weak kind of prayer. This is not a mental accommodation for our lack of faith, our excuses. This is a powerful prayer. You begin to pray, God, let your kingdom come and your will be done in every situation. It means, God, you begin to get involved and you do what I can't do. We've been trying to arrange our society, or arrange our relationships, or arrange our business uh, or whatever, our families, and, and to, tr- to, try, to try to make God move. But when God does what we can't do, his kingdom begins to break in. This is a prayer of power. God, let your future reign. What you're gonna do in the future, break in to our present, break into our right now, break into our day. As in heaven, let it be on earth. Where does the kingdom of God break in? I already talked about the salvation of the lost, but the kingdom of God breaks in when there's a great sense of his presence. You know, we're people, we're a weekly people. We worship weekly and we, we kind of have our own liturgy. It goes like this, happy song, mid-tempo song, slow song, shake hands, announcements, scripture, go home. That, right? That's just kind of our rhythm. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just who we are. It's what we expect. It, it's our form of worship that helps us. But you know that at any point for your life as an individual, or for our life as a corporate body, the presence of God can break into one of those songs. The presence of God can break into that communion. The presence of God can break into that sermon. The future reign of God can come into that ministry time. And we, we are people of faithfulness. We are people of process. We're people who are consistent. We're people who are at the place God's called us to be. But as we're faithful, as we're consistent, the kingdom breaks in. The present reign of God breaks in. The future reign of God breaks in to our present I believe that we need that in the revival of believers. I think what we need more than anything in this world, it's not that we need culture to turn around. We need Christians to turn around. We have lukewarm Christians. We're Christians that need revival. We need a renewing of the things of God. We need a renewing of the spirit of God. If there's anything that I believe we need to pray for the church today is for us as Christians to wake up, to return to our first love, to return to the things that we're passionate about. If we're not passionate about the gospel, why would the world want to hear something that we just give half of our attention to? Why would the world be drawn to something that's just part, uh, just a convenience for us. That's just something that's compartmentalized in our life. No, the world wants to see us. It wants to see us on fire for him. Usher's coming on to the front. I want to commit this time to the Lord. I just pray that today this, this, this teaching will help do what it's done for me. It will make you believe again. It will make you hope again will not make you a manipulator of God. Some of you, uh, you have a wrong perspective. You're trying to manipulate God and you're setting yourself up for disappointment because you're trying to demand God to submit to your will instead of you submitting to God's will. And I warn you, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. I'm pleading with you to hear what I'm saying today because I cannot preach the power of God if you don't understand this, that we've got to submit to the sovereignty of God. If not, all we're doing is humanism. If all we're doing is trying to create our future by what we say, that is nothing more than humanism. I'm the one in charge. It's my faith. It's my confession. It's my ability. No, it's not. It's us centering on his character and who he is and asking for him to do what we cannot do. Let's pray together.